0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP you'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I'm just going to trail off and think shades of John Lennon. Let me get started. The first of three industrial revolutions was based on mechanical production equipment powered by steam. Think back. Oh, I know you weren't born then, but it was in the late 1700s. You've heard about that. The second industrial revolution was mass production powered by electricity. Aha! And that happened about a 100 years later in the late 1880s. Then we had the third industrial revolution. We're going to put quotes around that one. It was business processes powered by computerization. Well, how can we live without it today? It's part of everything we do. And that was in the 1960s, not so long ago. But today we are experiencing the fourth industrial revolution. It's connecting machines and equipment with the ubiquitous Internet of Things, familiarly known. I can finally pronounce that one right as the IOT. It is enabling the digitization of business. Business across all industries to revolutionize those business processes that were powered a long time ago, to revolutionize customer interactions and business models, how you do business. What is at the heart of this shift? Something we call the industrial machinery and components industry. We're going to shorthand that for today's purposes IMNC. I have a panel of three experts who know what this is all about. They're going to enlighten us, they're going to inspire us, and they're going to teach me and and I think you a lot. So let's get started. First up, I'm pleased to welcome Jason Kaufman. If you're looking for him, it's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. He is a manufacturing principal at Deloitte Consulting, and a shout-out to all of our very good friends at Deloitte who bring us so many great thought leaders for our Game changer shows. And Jason has brought me a quote from... This makes perfect sense. Henry Ford. Anybody wondering, Henry Ford? Oh, come on. You couldn't have been hiding under a rock that much. But just in case you're wondering, he lived from 1863 to 1947, an American industrialist, the founder of the Ford Motor Company, aha, and the sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production. Let me just read a tiny drop here that may enlighten all of you a little more. Although Ford did not actually invent the automobile or the assembly line, he developed and manufactured the first- first automobile that many middle-class Americans could actually afford. In doing so, Henry Ford converted the automobile from an expensive curiosity into a practical conveyance that would profoundly impact the landscape of the 20th century. Shout out of course reference to Wikipedia. So here's the quote Jason has selected. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Aha, Jason Kaufman, welcome. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me today.
0: Thanks for joining us. I love the quote. We hear it from time to time. It's so perfect for our topic today. So tell me a little bit about you and Henry Ford. Are you a, a follower, a fan, and how did you come to pick this quote for our topic?
2: Sure. No, as we as we looked, and as you quoted, the being an industrialist and, and driving a lot of invention, um, I think most people call out the fact of the assembly line uh, along with the car as long as you want it in black. But, but other models that he introduced was the dealership model. The CFO actually pushed him to innovate on that front. And without the dealership model, they probably would have continued to lag in probably 85th spot uh, before they had thrust it all the way up to the number one auto manufacturer in, in the world.
0: So tell me something in relation to my intro. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Henry Ford certainly was a dreamer. I think he helped a lot of people dream about that so-called curiosity into can this become part of the fabric of the American and eventually the global landscape. Any thoughts on how John Lennon and Henry Ford would have had a conversation?
2: Uh, particularly today with, with the level of infotainment that's in the car and, 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 connecting with music and, and all the other, um, dreams that, that we had of, of pulling society together and now car sharing and all the changes of, of bringing data in, in to the vehicle. I, I think they both could have, you know, looked upon how these latest inventions and, and innovations have even thrusted you know, us together uh, in in harmony, if you will, uh, kind of harking back to the Lennon quote.
0: I love it. Thank you. One more question before I bring on our second panelist. What does this all have to do with I, M, and C? And by the way, our topic today is digital manufacturing. I knew I'd get around to that eventually powering the fourth industrial revolution. How does this all come together with where we're starting with, well, Henry Ford? How does this all come together?
2: yeah I mean, going back to the quote, even from a standpoint of if you would have asked the customers, they would have asked for faster horses, I think it's hard for manufacturers today um, to look and say, Do I just focus on my core business, my core product, otherwise I'm, I would have just got a faster horse. Um i I think Henry, the innovations that we've already, you know, admired um have had evolved beyond that. Um uh, I think the other piece shareholders are demanding that, as well as the boards are demanding that of manufacturers. So everyone's at this tipping point from disruption as well as looking to getting more value out of out of the core business and looking to evolve into, you know, the next evolution, which I think we'll get into deeper across today.
0: We certainly will. Thank you so much, Jason. Pleasure to meet you. And let me welcome your first co-panelist. It's Sean Malloy. Industry Solution Principle for the Industrial Machinery and Components, Automotive, and Mill Products Industries. That's a big business card at ITelligence, Inc. Sean has sent me a quote from Thomas Edison. Let me just give a little background. we all know Thomas Edison and what he invented? But you may not know all of the following. Thomas Alva Edison, 1847 to 1931, was another American inventor and businessman. He developed many devices that greatly influenced life around the world, including the phonograph, okay, the motion picture camera, yes, and the long-lasting practical electric light bulb, and I don't know if everybody knows that he was dubbed the Wizard of Menlo Park. He was one of the first inventors to apply the principles of mass production and large-scale teamwork to the process of invention, and he held, wait for it, 1,093 U.S. patents in his name, Thomas Alva Edison, as well as many patents in the UK France and Germany. My goodness gracious. So here's the quote. I hope I do this justice, Sean Malloy. Hell, there ain't no rules around here. We're trying to accomplish something. Ah, oh, did I get it right? Sean Malloy, welcome to the show. How are you, Sean? Well, thank you. I'm doing very good, and, and I think you did a great job with the quote. <laughs> thank you very much. tried not to murder it too much. So tell me, are you a big follower of Thomas Edison? We've got icons here so far. Our first guest quoted Henry Ford. You're quoting Thomas Edison. This is big stuff. So tell me, how did you pick that quote for this topic today, Sean?
3: Well, it, it, it's, it's actually a funny story behind the quote. It. it there was a, a a man who joined the uh, Edison labs. His name was Martin Rosenoff uh, when he came into the lab he you know like everybody he wanted to know what what are the rules what what do I follow in this lab and 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 you know Edison uh, turn around and and spat on the floor and yells out into the into the shop. You know that quote that there, there are no rules. We're really trying to accomplish things here. And as, as you mentioned, all the the patents and ideas and and things that came out of the Edison labs was just amazing. So he he actually did what he said. He he did accomplish something and very impressive.
0: Very impressive indeed. So tell me something about our fourth industrial revolution, our topic today, digital manufacturing. What kind of a eureka or aha moment do you think Thomas Edison would have had if he knew about John Lennon having a conversation over a a car, uh, internet connection in a car with streaming music talking about, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. If Thomas Edison joined that conversation, what do you think he would say?
3: Well, Surprisingly, I think he would agree with Lenin. I think he'd say, You gotta be a dreamer. There's you you have to have a, a no limits attitude. You know, no limits on what innovation can bring, no limits on what defines the box. Nothing is impossible. And and that's what these two would talk about. They would be in full agreement.
0: This they is what's shaping
3: the fourth revolution. There you
0: go. It it's you know, it's nice for me to have our panelists, you and Jason and our our upcoming third panelist, who is Dave Parrish from SAP, who is a frequent panelist on our Game Changer shows, bring back... I'm just going to say it, the good guys, the good old days, people who who were there at the forefront, who were part of shaping these industrial revolutions. We're talking about now. We're looking back over our shoulders at three. We're inside of four. Who knows what the dreaming will be for a fifth? So thank you very much, Sean. Pleasure to meet you. And I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more from you during the show. And speaking of whom, it's time to introduce David Parrish or reintroduce him. He's a senior global marketing director for the Industrial Machinery and Components Industry for SAP, and Dave has stayed away from the industrialist side and more on another dreamer, didn't get a lot of time in his life to dream for us, but it was John F. Kennedy, elected in 1960 as the 35th President of the United States at age 43, JFK, as we finally called him became the youngest man and the first Roman Catholic to hold that office. I don't know how many people really remember that. He was born into one of America's wealthiest families. They probably had one of the first cars. They're probably best friends with Henry Ford, and parlayed his elite education and reputation as a military hero, yes, there are movies about that, into a successful run for Congress in 1946 and the Senate in 1952. I won't go into a lot more, including the assassination, a sad day for all of us in 1963, all of us who lived through that, but was the quote, very, very important quote Dave Parish sent us from JFK, change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. Aha, Dave Parish, welcome back. How have you been?
4: I've been great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me.
0: We are delighted to have you and talk to you. Are you a big fan and follower of the late great JFK? I think it is. Uh, in looking back, we can say late and great, regardless of what your politics are. Uh, and a lot of a lot of promise and a lot of dreams that didn't get to happen. So, how did you pick that quote for our show today, Dave Parrish?
4: Um, I'm. I've always been a fan of uh, of JFK, and um, I wasn't around when he was uh, president, but. Uh, bit of a history buff and like to study things, and I just thought for this partic- particular topic regarding the fourth industrial revolution, uh, it's all about change, and kind of what Sean said, no limits, and then what you said, quoting John Lennon, uh, you've got to be a dreamer, and you've got to stay focused on on innovation. So I think the Henry Ford quote and the Thomas Edison quote, and now the JFK quote, um, Pretty much nothing is impossible and no limits, as as Sean said, I think is uh, a great way to start this conversation.
0: I agree. Thank you. And the three of you have put together three very powerful people to quote. I'm interested Dave, in what do you think JFK would have said if he had been around to drive a car, probably a very high-end car, where he could hear streaming music. If John Lennon was still around writing music, my goodness, look at that history. And if he could look back and say, wow, fourth industrial revolution, interesting. All of this digital economy stuff they're talking about, and shared economy, and And in the interim from 63 to now, how many years is that, Dave? 63, 73, 83, 93, 50 years ago? 53 years ago? Uh, What do you think JFK would say if he looked and said, wow, they're still innovating. This is good. How would he have responded? Absolutely. I think he would have been thrilled, and I think
4: he probably would have had the uh, wherewithal and finances to probably buy a Tesla or some other uh, (laughs) environmentally friendly uh, vehicle to go along with his politics. And I, I just think he'd be listening to music and cruising down the road and looking at how he had a hand in the, the change of our country.
0: There you go. And it's such an important quote. Thank you for that, Dave, and I appreciate that. And now we're going to have a little fun. Well, I think we've already been having fun, but we're going to find out what's in your cup today. Let's first talk to Jason Kaufman at Deloitte. Jason, where are you calling us from today? And what are you drinking, if it's interesting? If not, would you rather be drinking?
2: <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. Yes, I'm calling from Detroit, Michigan. I'm sitting in our offices in the red and kind of looking over a, a cold, blistery day, uh, which doesn't feel spring-like with the Tigers starting on Friday. Oh, um, but in my cup, uh, unfortunately, is water. Uh, but on 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 Tiger's Day, uh, it'll probably transform into Bell's Oberon, which is a local uh, brew just on the western side of the state. And it, they launch it every spring. So it just opened up in the last week uh, on the first of the spring.
0: You want to spell that for me so I know what it is? You said sure. Bell's, Bell's Oberon? B-E-L-L,
2: yeah. and then Oberon is O-B-E-R-O-N.
0: Thank you very much. I might want to check that out. Been known to do that before, at least on the internet. I don't know. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. We got to get rid of these cold, nasty days. It's April already. Give me a break. And April Fool's Day has passed. So we don't want to be fooled by, by weird weather. It's time to. Get the, I know the buds are out here in New York. The trees are blooming, the cherry blossoms and the dogwoods and the pear blossoms and the daffodils are up and the petunias and the crocuses and everything, but it's still cold and nasty. It just doesn't go together. We're going to have to dream a little better than that, right? Let's talk to Sean Malloy. Sean, where are you calling from and what are you drinking today or what would you rather be drinking?
3: Yeah. So... um uh Calling from Dallas, Texas, and uh, I I don't have it with me now. But uh, what I'd rather be drinking is a uh, a, a drink from Brazil. It's called Guaraná. Um, I actually worked in Brazil. I worked on in the uh, Amazon rainforest on the uh, Amazon River, and to get there from Dallas, it's a it's a 21 hour commute if, if you don't miss the connection in São Paulo. And when you walk off that plane, <laughs> you're pretty tired, but yet you still have to, you know, make it through the day. And so they have a drink. It's called Guavana, and it has twice the caffeine of coffee, and it is absolutely wonderful.
0: I want you to spell that for me because I'm looking at Guava Na, N-A. Is that what it is?
3: Uh, well, r- remember, Brazil is really a Portuguese nation. Uh-huh. So, so the way you pronounce it and the way you spell it are really different. So Guadana is spelled G-U-A-R-A-N-A and pronounced Guadana.
0: Oh, Guarnara. Okay, I've got it. I'm looking at pictures of it here. Guarana, Pauliana, Cupana, blah, blah, blah. It's the P. sorbilis is a climbing plant in the maple family native to the Amazon basin and especially common in Brazil. I have it. Guarana. Okay, thank you very much. I got a pronunciation lesson as well. Okay, we'll have to check that out. Thank you very much. And now let's turn to Dave Parrish. Where are you? And tell me something real really interesting that you're drinking. That
4: Bonnie and I, uh, I could use double the caffeine because I've just been away uh, a week on vacation in a beautiful Maui. But today, oh. this morning, I'm in Denver, Colorado, where it's uh, 55 degrees and sunny. So it's starting to be springtime here. When I left a week ago from Maui, it was a blizzard. Um, so oh. I'm glad it's uh, not snowing anymore, at least today. And in my cup, uh, because of my travels of where I just was, is uh, Lava Flow Dark Roast, which is uh, grown under the Maui Grown Coffee Company on Maui. And it's delicious, and it was the first time I'd ever had um, Hawaiian coffee, I believe. And later today or this evening, I hope to have a Cocoa Nut Brown Ale, which is from the Kona Brewing Company also.
0: From Hawaii. Got a little
4: coffee and a little beer home, so I'm a pretty happy guy.
0: I like day. it. I like it. He went with an empty suitcase and he came back with all kinds of goodies he got to it. drink. That's the way to travel, Dave. We knew we could count on you. Thank you very much the three of you. Our topic today is digital manufacturing, powering the fourth industrial revolution. We've had a great intro so far. Speaking with Jason Kaufman at Deloitte, Sean Malloy at Itelligence, and David Parrish at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. By the way, Dave knows they don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on radio show day. So it's cool, clear water with an optimistically yellow straw because I'm hoping to get rid of this, ugh, weather and get some sunshine today or tomorrow here in new york so let's just say don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial michael out
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the games, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Digital Industries, Changing the Game.
0: Welcome back. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game Radio presented by SAP. Our topic today is an important one, digital manufacturing, Powering the Fourth Industrial Revolution. My special guests today are Jason Kaufman at Deloitte, Sean Malloy at ITelligence, and David Parrish at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and plan to be for the rest of the show. Let's take a deep dive into our roundtable right now. I'm looking at the notes Jason Kaufman has sent me. And here's an interesting place we're going to start. Jason says, innovation is sometimes easy to see, while others are much harder to identify and predict. The speed of this innovation is ever-increasing. And let's talk about the music business. Most people could see the shift of the music business from albums, I remember those, to cassettes, I remember those, to CDs. But the move to MP3, purchasing single songs, was a hard shift to see that Apple led with iTunes. We're talking about history in the making here. Jason, why don't you expand for us, please?
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, as we were talking about Lennon and, and Henry Ford and, and looking at this shift and, and just the speed of innovation, and I think what will help um, manufacturers move to digital manufacturing is, is also thinking above and beyond, um, but they're going to need to flex different muscles, um, the, as you described for music, moving you know from, from hard formats to new digital formats, you know, that, that could be easier to see, but then moving to MP3s and purchasing single songs, and then even further, now people are buying access to the music versus ownership. So after we've all you know replaced the various formats we've had, now we're buying just access, and I, I would argue that shift was even harder to predict. So I think our manufacturers need to think you know out of the box, dream a bit, and also start embracing new ways of of providing value and service to to their customers.
0: Jason, while it was hard to predict, do you think it was a logical flow of how we are all into a different phase of our economy, the digital economy, the sharing economy, that we do not need to own it ourselves, but we can get access to it when we want it at an affordable price, blah, blah, blah economy? Do you think that it might not have flowed logically, but do you think somebody might have seen that mind shift coming and said, ah, this is what we need next? What do you think?
2: Yeah, no. I, I think it's the the logical build up now. Again, I don't mm-hmm. think it was so easy to see. Yeah. And, and I think innovation doesn't have to be original thought. I, I think a lot of the things we're seeing is the, this amazing collection of, of of great inventions that have come together. No different than the internal combustion engine taking water pumps and and, and air management along with you know mm-hmm. gasoline, you know, creating this this. Fantastic thing! Uh, if we look at Airbnb, they have more hotels, you know, more rooms mm-hmm. than the largest hotel chains, uh, you know, in the world. And that happened overnight. It was a quick, fast disruption that that changed the landscape. So, on the manufacturing front, with products shifting more into services, and and with the sharing economy that you touched on, how can I start a, evolving my business model to tap in and provide similar kind of value that could be? even more tremendously valued than, you know, a traditional manufacturing company as just selling core products by itself.
0: Thank you, Jason. Sean Malloy at Intelligence, love to get your POV on this. Talk to us, please.
3: Certainly. Uh, when, when we look at the, the Internet of Things and, and being innovative, this is where manufacturers really need to think not, not only outside of the box of, of what their products do, but outside of their core industries as well. Uh, an example is a, a you know a refrigerator manufacturer. Today we look at it as a refrigerator as a re- refrigerator,
4: mm-hmm. but
3: really with the Internet of Things, we could view their product as, as a vending machine. So in this case, milk is leasing space on the shelf, and <laughs> the machine is monitoring the expiration dates, uh, automatically creating purchase orders if the milk is used up or, or a scrap order. Necess- you know if the uh, if it expires. Uh, a consignment fill up order when the milk gets, gets low so that, uh, it arrives just in time. So, so now a refrigerator is a vending machine. And these are the types of things where we go, where, where we really need to be, uh, uh, innovative in the application because new applications are available.
0: Thank you. Very interesting. I like the idea of milk leasing space on the shelf. I've got two lessees in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> yes. I never quite thought of it that way. F- fascinating. Okay, Dave Parrish, you're up. What do you think about all of this?
4: Well, I think it's exciting. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. As Sean, Sean just mentioned, uh, not just thinking outside of the box, but outside of our industries is, is critical for manufacturers today. Um, and as Jason also mentioned, the speed of innovation is just incredibly rapid. I'm a huge, huge music fan, um, so the uh, Apple uh, MP3 example is very relevant to me, and your John Lennon quote was very relevant to me. Thank um, you. In 2007, I stopped buying uh, CDs and moved yeah. to uh, the Apple model. And then a mere eight years later, uh, last year, I stopped buying MP3s. And now, as um, Jason mentioned, I just pay for consumption, and I use Spotify, and it's fantastic. And if you would have asked me, you know, eight, nine years ago, if, if I would uh, not have any more CDs, I would say you're crazy, but look what happened, right? So mm-hmm. the, uh, the iTunes example and the Airbnb example are, are just amazing on how fast these things are happening. And another thing I'd like to point out is Um, the size of the opportunity from an industrial perspective. Um, Cisco's quoted $1 trillion in uh, revenue from these new business models um, by 2020. That's only four years from now. So we're looking at a trillion-dollar industry based on the Internet of Things, specifically for industrial. I would say that's uh, pretty exciting for all of us on the phone and all of our, our listeners out there.
0: Very exciting. I want to bring up one point with you, Dave, before I circle back to Jason and Sean on this conversation thread here. Back in the day, Dave, and and anybody jump in on this, we had a pride of ownership in how many I grew up with LPs, 33s and 45s. When I was a teenager, we had boxes of records, and you crammed as many 45s as you could into there. And then, gee, you go to a party. Well, I'll bring my three cases of 45s, and how many are you bringing? And how many? So it was a question of being part of that economy. You needed to, A, have a little bit of spending money because they weren't that cheap in those days, and you had to have the case, and you had to label them, and you had to have them by genre, if you will. And then we moved to CDs, and I was one of the people who said, oh, come on, well, they may be smaller and thinner than a real record, vinyl, but I'm not going to own a bunch of those. And I found myself at garage sales, buying everything I love for like 50 cents a piece, a dollar a piece. And before you knew it, I had shoeboxes filled with CDs and on and on. So do you think there was a, a sense of being part of the economy by, yes, I can afford to own versus now it's, I can lease it, I can access it. What do you think about that, Dave? Uh, I think
4: it's a brilliant point. And in, in my <laughs> life, particularly, it's it's so dramatic because You know, I wasn't a 45 guy, but my sister was a 45 girl, so she had her fancy cases that she would bring to parties with 30 or 40 uh, records in them. For me, it was uh, record albums. I had milk crates full of them, probably six or seven in college. Then I got married, and my wife said, you know what, those are really big and take up a lot of space, so those are gone. Um, Eight years ago, I had probably four bookshelves worth of CDs, um those are also gone and now wow. i have a computer there my phone where i access all the music in the world basically
0: wow <laughs> wow crazy. wow it it crazy. is crazy and you know, I could put a CD in my car and in, in, and let it uptake, upload into the music library, and get rid of the CD. And I just hit a button on albums, and whatever I could sort it while I'm driving. I could sort it by by album title. I could sort it by the the performer. I could sort it by whatever I want, and just bring it up. I I don't even. I've got a carload full of them, but I don't use them if they're not already uploaded. Heck, uh, I want to go back to to uh, Jason. Any comments on? Oh, I know we've moved into music as a sideline here, but any thoughts on? The general conversation you want to add, because you started this topic, Jason Kaufman.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, as we reflected, I mean, the speed of change is amazing. And, you know, the, the art of the, the perfect mixtape has changed to the, the perfect playlist. Um, so some things have, have, have stayed the same, um, you know, just adapt to the, the technology that's there. Um, but it, But I think with the manufacturers, you know, those traditional business models are being disrupted a bit. But but I I think they have huge potential to, to tap into that new revenue and that new um the value that you create. The fact that Dave, no matter where he's going or, or with your travels body, and you have access to your fingertips or even if you're listening to satellite radio and you tag you know, a particular artist if they're playing anywhere on any stations, please alert me so I can change. You know, and, and get there. Mm-hmm. So having that availability of all that metadata and, and the power of being able yes. to tap into it, you know, real time. Um, there's a lot of trust in that in that kind of communication and, and that value. You know, uh, can be can be relied or relayed into. You know, tremendous opportunities for for all of us.
0: Thank you, and I think fun is a word we haven't introduced into this yet. It is fun. I don't think anybody would deny that. Sean Malloy, rather than have you comment again on this thread, I'd like to start going in a slightly different direction, if you don't mind. I'm looking at your notes. And let's talk about business models. I'm just going to read a little bit, and, Sean, you can run with it. You say, IoT, Internet of Things, is changing sales business models from fragmented line-of-business-centric offerings to the sale of process chains. Sales of process chains combine the LOB offerings into a symbiotic bundle based on IoT. This is way above my grade level, so I'm going to ask you to unbundle this, Sean. What are we talking about here?
3: Yeah, well, really to simplify it, what we're talking about is that companies will – in this revolution, we'll, we'll be able to see equipment and services really as one integrated offering. That's, that's mm-hmm. really the baseline here. So, so companies that uh, use digitization to change co- will, will be able to change the conversation from an ROI-based sale, which today people come back and say, "I'm making an investment, and what's my return on that investment?" and and, and it's, that's the level of the business discussion. Well, in this economy, we're going to be able to t- change that from an ROI-based sale to selling based on value, and and what's the value that comes back? Uh, uh, from, in in my example, value comes when uh, a machine manufacturer who really knows a machine is providing predictive maintenance. And mm-hmm. uh, depending on the piece of equipment that a manufacturer is operating, it could take years for their plant engineer to learn to do predictive maintenance. Because you know it, the the not so fun part sometimes, and and for other people it's a, it's a great fun is that you're looking at charts of data and it still takes that expert to make that determination that you know some blip on the data chart actually equals a uh, uh an issue that's going to be coming up with the machine so that's a value that I don't have to hire all those engineers, the person who knows the equipment, who manufactured the equipment, is telling me that it's, it's operating and working properly, and I get to use that equipment to its full potential. It's a, it's a win-win value proposition.
0: It's very exciting, and it's it's a whole new way of looking at things. You're I was so intrigued, Sean. You said it's selling based on value, not on ROI, and the the word value and experience. That's a, a big driver in our a lot of our conversations today. I want to bring Dave Parrish into this. Dave, thoughts on what Sean just introduced to us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I spend a
4: great deal of my time uh, speaking with different industrial manufacturers all over the globe, and the ROI based sale versus the Value based sale, um, you hear them also mention capital expenditure versus operational expense. Where today um, they're going to buy a machine, let's call it, let's say it's an air compressor. Um, in the past, they would spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars on this equipment, the original equipment, and they would own it, they'd have to maintain it. Now um, they're moving from that capital expense to an operational expense where they're just paying for the amount of compressed air that that machine produces. So it's a completely different um, transactional model. It's a completely different consumption model. You'll hear it either power by the hour or uh, pay for performance type of thing. But essentially, you see it across all industrial markets. Um, the predictive maintenance uh, capabilities that Sean mentioned, you see that everywhere from smart farm equipment, if you will, where... Uh, a farmer is just paying by the, uh, for the number of acres he, he plows, let's say, instead of buying the equipment himself. And the original equipment manufacturer, a Caterpillar, a John Deere, you name uh, anyone you want, um, they're, they're out there remotely uh, monitoring that machine, and they know when it needs a new belt, for example, or it needs an oil change, those sorts of things that the farmer doesn't have to worry about anymore because he's just paying for, for the power.
0: Dave, does every industry get this already? You mentioned across all industries. Are there there any laggards, any notable laggards? We don't want to point a finger at anyone, but is this something that's – we call it the fourth industrial revolution. Well, a revolution, maybe it's more of an evolution. It takes time for companies to redirect their efforts to understand the new business models we've been talking about. How long is that ramp up? I, I just want to ask you that and then we can go around the table and, and we still owe some time to Jason Kaufman on this topic. But how long does it take for a company to climb on board and say, ah, that's the way we're supposed to be doing it now? David?
4: Right. Um, absolutely. It, it's, um, it is a process, right? These things don't mm-hmm. happen overnight. And you mentioned the fat, uh, the word laggard, which mm-hmm. for me is a great word because Typically, when we talk about high technology, software, cloud computing, those types of things, the industrial manufacturers have always been known as kind of laggards in that space. But when we talk about the Internet of Things and machine-to-machine communication, telematics, those sorts of things, the industrial companies have actually been on the forefront, you know, the forefront of that for years. Mm-hmm. So we're actually the innovators at this point. Um uh, which is an uh, unusual position for, for the industrial folks. But I, I don't know if they're, if I could look at uh, industries that would be laggards necessarily, but there's definitely ones that are a little bit behind the maturity curve. But I think the converse of that is the industrial folks um, absolutely leading the charge of this uh, fourth revolution.
0: Thank you very much. Jason Kaufman, join us. Thoughts?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think the... the whether well, you're a lagger or a leader, I, I think everybody's trying to predict, you know, disruptions on the verge. I think people are feeling that. I think the examples that, that both Sean and Dave kind of shared, you know, GE no longer selling aircraft engines, moving to selling airlines power by the hour, you know, really mm-hmm. transforming into more of a service company that aligns each party's interest. I want predictability. I want to transport my customers and goods and freight, you know, reliably. And if you have vast amounts of data that you can now look at and deploy, um, you know, service technicians to keep me in the air, fantastic. Um, Sitting in Detroit and with the whole future of mobility and ride sharing and the changes that are happening to electrification, you know, Tesla just over their opening weekend with the new Model 3 sold. You know, online, or at least had reserved over 250,000 Model 3s in lines out the door. So they still had retail spaces, you know, with people and and then also online. So this convergence and the change, but how fast and and how is it moving? Um, I think you do need a dream and you need to start investing in this. and, And I think all the industries are feeling it. But how do I bet big? Um, or, or do I need to start small? I, I think mm-hmm. everyone's challenged a little bit to, to know that I can't sit back. But you know, where where do I begin?
0: And and uh, let me go circle this back to Sean Malloy at Intelligence. Sean, we've had some good points brought up by your co-panelists, Dave Parrish and Jason Kaufman. And my question to you is. Are we seeing a change in leadership that is ready to embrace and acknowledge and look forward with excitement, anticipation, prediction on where these trends are going? Or or what's happening to companies specifically in any industry where we talked about laggards versus leaders, companies where there's, I hate to say this, the old guard. No, we're just going to keep doing it the way we've always doing it. It's not broke. We're not going to fix it. Let them go and see what happens. Is there anybody left like that, or does this require an influx of new, I'll say it, younger leadership or a more millennial influence? Any any uh, demographics you could bring up on this, Sean?
3: you know it 's really not about the the demographics which which is probably surprising to a lot of people so mm-hmm. I, I mean we do have a lot of young uh, millennials out there who are uh, driving what 's going what's to come out in the products that we manufacture, but when mm-hmm. we look at it at the, inside the four walls of the manufacturing organization and the the executives and the management that is that is that is, man, that is pushing this revolution, um, it kind of decouples. It's interesting because I I, I spend a lot of time in in front of uh, C-level groups, and we actually have to go through a change management exercise with that group because these technologies have to become part of the business vision that at the C-level down. They're implementing these technologies because they're, they're changing so rapidly. And so they've got to build it into the workforce, the vision that says we as a company, as technology changes, so do we. We as a company, as, as new products and types of redefining ourselves and new training techniques and new, new things coming on the market, we're a company. It's our vision to stay at the head of that. And so, you know, what is kind of being driven by, like I said, the millennials who are are the receivers of these products, the real thought leadership is coming from our executives in our manufacturing organizations. And and they're making that change. They're, They're changing those thoughts, and they're leading.
0: Thank you very much. And, and I really appreciate your thoughtful answer. Thank you very much. And now I'm looking at the clock and we have enough time left for one more conversation thread. And Dave Parrish, tag, you're it. Dave, we've been talking about I think good news, right? We're talking about innovation and moving forward and changing the business model and changing from ROI to value-based and all of this energy and this excitement and these innovations that people want to get on board with. They want to make them. They want people to consume them. And the energy is flowing. However, Dave Parrish, you're the bearer of bad news on this one. I'm sorry to say. I'm looking at your notes here and here's something that we really need to be aware of in this conversation. You say high value industrial installations and manufacturing facilities are prime targets for digital attacks and sabotage. And then let me just read an example quickly here, Dave, and then I'm going to have you run with this and we'll invite Jason and Sean to comment. You say just a few weeks ago, the U.S. Department of Justice indicted seven hackers who would infiltrated the computer systems that operate the Bowman BOWMAN Avenue Flood Control Dam in Rye, New York. And imagine, there's our John Lennon word, David. Imagine someone 6,000 miles across the world, these were Iranian hackers, flooding out millions of people just a few miles across Long Island Sound from New York City. Yes, I don't want to imagine that. So, Dave, talk to me. What's the word of, of the watchword here? Where does trust come in? Where does IoT come in? Where will manufacturers ensure this?
4: yeah so this is uh as you mentioned you know this is kind of the dark side of of all this Mm -hmm. exciting growth and opportunity and really what it comes down to you know not to be a, a fear monger or anything like that but um trust with your suppliers and your customers and the manufacturers that you deal with is you know we like to call that the ultimate business currency and uh Cyber, cybersecurity is a top priority for, for the industrial manufacturers that I deal with. Um, you know, not to name names, but there is countries out there that are trying to steal intellectual property and have been doing so for years, um, which has always been a threat. But now the threat's even greater on what if they wanted, like, like the example you gave, to mm-hmm. flood out a portion of a city or... Shut down a factory so your competitor can't, um, you know, produce product anymore. So I think I'm uh, by no means a security expert, but the, the folks I talk to from the uh, industrial base, um, it is definitely a top priority as, as we make more connections between more machines and more people to make sure that we've got a security layer on top of that to uh, keep people safe and keep the product safe.
0: David, that trust element, at what point does a business person in the C-suite, and probably Sean and Jason will have a lot to say about this, say, yeah, it's worth taking those risks. We hope we can trust our suppliers. We hope you can trust, we can trust our, our ecosystem, other manufacturers. We hope we can trust our customers. We hope we can trust the world to be sane and kind and respectful. But at what point do they say, well, we now need, in order to do this innovation, we need a an equal investment in cybersecurity protection to balance out the risk. Is, is that a big, ticket item in manufacturing today, having to provide for cybersecurity while moving forward with innovation?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge focus area. Whether or not it's a, a big line item expense or not, I'm not exactly sure. But what I think mm-hmm. it points out is um, it's still people running these companies, right? Yes. We're all people. Yes. And that trust factor, that ultimate currency um, no matter how automated we get, it's still people doing business with people. It's not machines doing business with machines. So I think the focus is building that trust and making sure, as, as Sean mentioned, those process change, or process chains rather, are rock solid, extremely tight, and you know all the players involved. So there's no, uh, there's no question of uh, fraud or things of that nature.
0: I, I think we can also look back to Sean Malloy's quote from Thomas Edison. Hell, there ain't no rules around here. We're trying to accomplish something. What do you think, Sean? <laughs> well, <laughs>
3: I, I, I think that, you know, when we, when we look at, at the cyber component of this and, and we, we apply that to, to IoT, you know, it, it, the, the common denominator here of IoT is the Internet. And, and in that realm right now, we know st- cyber threats are a reality today. There are, are more, there are some very high visible data breaches that are going on. And as we take you know a trillion dollar machine to machine connections coming up and put those out onto the Internet, well, the current models that we have um, are just not, in my opinion, safe enough. So when we look mm-hmm. at this, the passing your machine data over for somebody to do an analysis and passing that over the internet. Yes, you could you could employ some existing technologies and send it unencrypted over the web or you could do uh virtual private networks, these types of things. But but as we get more and more on the internet, the encryption companies are going to play a larger role. And, and and they're gonna have to help us uh, uh keep this data safe Um, And so that's really where I I believe the, the future of this is going to be up and coming in the next couple of years. That's going to be a big piece of enabling IoT.
0: Thank you. We're not quite in our predictions round, but I think you just started it anyway. Jason Kaufman, going a little bit out of order here. Jason at Deloitte, any thoughts? You're a manufacturing principal. Thoughts on the cybersecurity aspect of we're all connected?
2: Yeah, I think Sean and Dave did a great job of capturing that trust and the ubiquitous nature of just being connected. I mean, when you had your album collection, you probably had that in your room in your closet protected Mm -hmm. and made sure it wouldn't get wet or damaged or stolen. And now if you cut that line of access to streaming music, I mean, now it's broken. Um, If you're a just-in-time manufacturer and you're used to your parts coming in, Just in time, and and we all know how expensive it is if your line shuts down. Well, now imagine if it starts impacting your customers because you're providing a service or or information or mobility. Uh, If we move to the future of autonomous vehicles and you're you're, we're all commuting together in pods, and you know there's no accidents anymore because the cars are communicating. But if somebody hacked. And took away that security and that trust, I mean, it could have devastating effects to safety, security, and, and just the trust in that system. And, and it definitely needs to be addressed as we continue to kind of move forward and, and, and provide that, you know, the safety and the overall features and functions uh, to continue to move at this pace of change.
0: Thank you, Jason. This pace of change, very important Very important comment here because we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution and that moving forward is part of that process. Dave Parrish, I'm going to give you just a minute to wrap up this topic because I want to give everybody 60 seconds for their actual prediction. So Dave, any final thoughts on cybersecurity, manufacturing, and IoT?
4: Um, really just the, the fact that it is top of mind for all of us, right? I mean, anyone that spends time... With manufacturers or uh, providing services and products for manufacturing companies like we all on this phone do, um, you know, it is definitely a top two or three conversation with, with manufacturers around the world, and I think we'll see and hear more about it as uh, we go down this journey for the fourth industrial revolution.
0: There you go. And I'm wondering if I could ask the three of you to address when the fifth one is coming in your predictions, because we are officially now looking at the crystal ball. So Jason Kaufman at Deloitte, I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds. I happen to like 2020, but as somebody pointed out, it's very, very close. It's almost not the future anymore. It's almost right here upon us. Jason Kaufman predicts something that will change on this topic. Our topic, of course, is digital manufacturing powering the fourth industrial revolution. Something in the future, when and what Sixty seconds, Jason Kaufman, go.
2: Yeah, I think in twenty twenty we're gonna start seeing an acceleration of, of manufacturers getting to the value of billion billion dollars. If we look back historically the Fortune five hundred, mostly manufacturers, took twenty years to get to the valuation of a billion. Uh, virtual reality around you know, Ocular Rift, you know, got there in, in you know in a year. I believe there'll be disruption with some of the early adopters from a manufacturing standpoint. That'll be able to tap into the value that we talked about today, providing new services, new capabilities to their customers, and really get a great return uh, on that investment. You know, with their shareholders and stock value.
0: Thank you very much, Jason Kaufman. Let's turn to Sean Malloy at I tell I tell Edgents, Sean, prediction, sixty seconds. It's all yours.
3: Right. Well, I fully agree that uh, right now, if we look at it, we started talking about uh, no limits. Is is where uh, my quote was. This revolution right now is in the R and D brainstorming phases, uh, prototyping phases. In twenty twenty, we're done with that. We're now moved on. We're in the production phase, and and in the production phase, we've got pr- new products in the market. We've got new manufacturing capabilities, one piece manufacturing transactions being done in the background by just moving product around, uh, p we look at it, it'll be more of an activity-based costing, we'll actually have the activities uh, recording the cost uh, components, and everything is really going to be focused around reaping the value from the investments we make in these technologies.
0: Thank you very much. Well put, as always. And, David Parrish, I'll let you have the final word on predictions. I can give you 60 seconds as well. Go ahead, David.
4: Thanks, Bonnie. Um, it's just been a great conversation today, and I think um,
0: mm-hmm.
4: the pace of change is crazy, and it is happening so fast. Um, we haven't touched on too much about 3D printed tools, but um, I just read the other day that, the space station, which is 220 miles above the surface of the Earth, is using 3D printing to make spare parts for the space station. So to me, you know, the future's here, right? I mean, it is happening as as we speak. Um, the other example that is kind of frightening to me a little bit is uh, we've all heard about the Amazon drones, where you're going to place mm-hmm. your order for a book and you're going to get it two hours later with a drone dropping it off. I'm not exactly sure how I feel about that, but I think that's happening sooner rather than later. And four years from now, I think, as uh, both Jason and and Sean mentioned, um, we're just going to be further down that steep, steep uh, curve. It's short, but it's steep on learning how to harness all this technology and to drive value. Um, And to Jason's point about companies getting to a billion dollars quicker... Um, it's happening overnight. You know, you hear about the unicorns. They're, they're real, and they're
0: happening. Mm-hmm. So, they are. very not exciting just a... time
4: to be, uh, to be uh, it attached is. to the manufacturing sector. That's for
0: sure. Unicorns are more than just a cute stuffed animal on some teenager's bed, right? They're real. They're out there. Thank you very much, Jason Kaufman at Deloitte. Sean Malloy at Intelligence, David Parrish at SAP, and a shout-out to Petra Benning, who is the sponsor of this series, and a shout-out to our engineer at the radio station, Michael and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed, David, it has been a good conversation, and I think we need to continue it. So you and I will chat offline about how best to do that, but I already have an idea, and I think you know what it is. We've got to get the, this, this threesome back because you were awesome. Thank you all very much for your sense of humor, for your for your insights, for your great expertise, and for just having a really good conversation. I enjoyed it. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.